0: fm to get started tonight we're reminded just how effective bribes could be in the soviet union plus the pros and cons of working with the kgb the soviet people rising to the task and when can you see nude miners on tv when you spell it m-i-n-e-r-s the chernobyl after show starts now you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. That was sort of a clickbaity turn of phrase. Welcome to the Trouble After Show. I am Christian Blatt, joined, as always, by my co-hosts. Please greet yourselves and the people in the audience.
1: Hey, I'm Jeremy Dan from the USC Marshall School of Business.
2: Hey, guys. I'm Julana Dizon.
0: Uh, so... No shortage of uh, disturbing and horrifying imagery this week, but uh, we'll get into all of that. I just want to go big picture first for episode three of Chernobyl, Open Wide, O Earth. Julana, just overall thoughts and uh, one or two things that really stood out for you while you watched this episode. Uh, For me, I was just
2: overly blown away by um, Ludmilla and her whole deal with the hospital and you know, visiting her husband and just that whole scenario.
0: Yeah. Every part of that, which mm-hmm. is the, you know, she, well, that's what I referenced in the top. You know, you bribe your way in, you can go even somewhere that is in extremely, you know, one of the most hazardous places on earth is inside the hospital number right. six. In and Moscow. the fact
2: that she just stayed there for days.
0: And it was <laughs> half an hour, uh, no contact. Are you pregnant? So, uh, yeah, got it. No, definitely not pregnant. Although, I got the impression that maybe she didn't know. But uh, I I don't know because uh, Mm. we'll talk about it. Uh, Jeremy, overall, your uh, thoughts on the episode and what really was your major takeaway from this?
1: She knew. But uh, the takeaway, you know, what's interesting about this episode is that in a way it's kind of the calm before the storm. We heard in the first episode how... Legasov said this was madness, and we certainly saw elements of madness in the last couple of episodes. Really huge mobilizations, uh, troops arriving, the helicopters arriving. Now everything, according to a lot of people, seems like it's cooling off. The scale of it is smaller. There's not the threat of the thermal explosion, which maybe takes out um, a third of all of continental Europe. Uh, as in terms of a habitable place but there's still a lurking next madness and emergency there and so this is that calm before the storm in parts of this episode
0: yeah i mean i found it, you know there the, a lot of it is is striking just the level of the desire to cover things up as we'll talk about and just the extent to which the problem continues to grow from episode to episode. You know, it's like there's always an assessment of here's what the impact's going to be. We've addressed one problem, and now here's several more that have an even uh, greater impact. Uh, we'll go through the episode a little bit. Uh, I like that we picked up literally right off where right where we left off last week, which it was with the the uh, the radiation levels rising, the flashlights going out. And uh, I think the best way to describe that sequence was frantic claustrophobia. You know, it's just like they were very determined they had to do it. But it was it was so well shot and disorienting and really uncomfortable. And it's just that overall feeling. I don't know about you, Julano. It's like, I am so glad that I'm not there right now.
2: I actually felt the opposite. I felt like it was... You wanted to be there with all of them to hang out? No, I didn't want to be there. (laughs) Let's go swimming. (laughs) Given the way that the last episode ended, I felt frantic at the end of the last episode. This one opens up where they have flashlights again. They can see. So it seems like everything got better. They found the valve. They opened it. And then they got out and everybody cheered. So it seemed like it got solved much more you know, quick and peacefully than I would have imagined.
0: Well, I did like <laughs> while they were waiting, uh, Lagasov uh, answers the question, is it possible that the waters already killed them? He's like, yep, it definitely could have happened. So they might not ever come out. And uh, I don't know what you thought, Jeremy, but uh, they finally come out successful and they're, given some kind of uh, alcohol to uh, cheer, and then I believe they're very swiftly all rounded up and put into a truck.
1: It was probably the four, what, four glasses of vodka over yeah. four hours that right. will cleanse everything out yeah, of your system. exactly. So they come out, and he is triumphant. I mean, like, literally, you know, the war number one and fists to the air and even the, the soldiers are celebrating, and there aren't that the ill effects. I mean, the people in the plant were exposed more quickly because they had no shielding and it was directly, it wasn't levels down. It was the level of the the core and they started to be burnt on the spot. But what yeah. we hear is these people are getting it over a period of weeks. What was interesting though, one of the people who knows who is uh, Boris Cherbina yeah. uh, played by Skarsgård. He uh, mildly weakly waves from uh, 20 meters away. He's, not going to get close to them because he's uh, cursed with that higher level of knowledge about what's going to happen to them and what would happen to him if he got that higher level of radiation more closely.
0: Yeah, I mean, they actually, they have that conversation about, you know, what's going to happen to our boys and what's going to happen to us. And so Lugosov goes through very descriptively telling you what it looks like and the the sort of terrible fact where it's like well there's going to be that one day where you think that you're past it latency yeah and it's essentially what we see later in the episode which i think the bulk of this episode uh i don't know if the bulk of it takes place in hospital number 6 but that's the the scenes that have the most impact i i think for me uh it, and it's all the stuff we already referenced which is they really don't want her is, is her name Ludmilla? Ludmilla. Uh, she didn't look like a Ludmilla, but uh, there she is. And obviously you understand her point of view. She just wants to see her husband. Um, and I think if they said don't touch him and he looked normal and he looked fine, you could understand that. But you take a look at him at even at this point in the episode and you're like, that doesn't look like somebody you should touch. But, uh, you know, I guess uh, it's very easy to have uh, somebody look the other way.
1: Well, if you think about it, he is a firefighter. She's come home to him before where he's probably had some minor burns, where he's had smoke all over his face. She's used to seeing him looking beaten up and probably was fearing the worst. Then she goes in and they're playing cards. They just have nice IVs. They're actually joking. Oh, look who's here. And that is that latency period. And you could see where maybe because she arrived just at that moment where he looked at his best, like yeah, you know, he has true. some first degree burns that he will recover from.
2: Yeah. And even going back to the first episode, I feel like her character is someone who is instinctually smart because she was the first one, though. Was like, that looks dangerous. Yeah. You shouldn't go there. I'm
0: going to stay inside. Yeah, I don't want to go watch the fire at the nuclear power plant. That just sounds bad.
2: Right. So I feel like in the hospital, you know, and she does say it won't be much longer. So I think after maybe that first day, she probably has an instinct that he's not going to be alive for very much longer.
0: Right. And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess she doesn't have the realization of just how bad it is for her to even be near him. Uh, probably not until the very end of the episode is I think when it, it starts to sink in, which obviously we'll talk about her
1: empathy and sympathy overcame her, her smarts
0: mm-hmm. and yeah, her, and, yeah, her, her sense of survival and, was, was certainly not at the forefront. His, of her decision his
1: hand on her stomach, which is, I think that foreshadowing of yeah. why you know she, you know, she definitely knew. And yes, she, she's not showing, showing the savvy she showed in, in the first episode.
0: Yeah. But Hey, love makes us do crazy things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a uh, another great uh, exchange between uh, Legasov and – I always call him Boris because we're on a first-name basis uh, – is just that it, that you know the realization that the evacuation zone was only 30 kilometers and it needed to be 200 kilometers. Uh, and he says, is this really the way that it all works? Some uninformed decision will cost who knows how many lives by some apparatchik, some career party man. And of course <laughs> – I'm a career party man, so watch your tone. But it it's absolutely uh, a point well made, Jeremy, is that's exactly what happens here and probably happens every day, well, in honestly, in any government, but especially in, in the Soviet Union. It's just the consequences are usually nowhere on this level, right? I mean, I, I think you can usually survive in a system like this for, well, for, what was it, like 70-some-odd years at this point. And uh, it's only when the stakes are this high that, uh, you know, it gets to be a huge problem, right?
1: Well, number one, the stakes are high. We heard the comments in the previous episode of this is an event that has never happened on this planet. So when you have uh, a society built around five-year plans and the predictability you try to get from that, I think they even – uh, we're willing to lose out on some productivity to get the predictability within their society, and you have career bureaucrats that are used to making decisions and not having them questioned because they want to have that predictability. That's where things can really go wrong. We we hear the exchange later about that when he tries to uh, Legasov tries to insert himself, and uh, Rizkov, the uh, the premier, had made the call, and even Gorbachev was happy to say. The call has been made, and Gorbachev goes in and out of listening versus covering his ears. And that was a moment where he was not going to listen. The call has been made. Someone else's name is on this decision, not mine. And let's move forward.
0: Well, and uh, Gorbachev has the approach, uh, Juliana, that uh, you're there for one reason—to make it stop. Like I, I don't need any—I don't need any of this sass from you, <laughs> right? You know, it's like. Even if what you're saying makes sense, it's like that's not that's not what your part is. I mean I think especially in a communist system like the Soviet Union, your roles were very clearly defined and you, you're you wise to not really venture beyond what parameters have been set for you.
2: Yeah, and that's hard for Legosov because he's really the only one in the situation that knows the real impact of how bad everything could be um, aside from – Ulana. Ulana. Yeah. And <laughs> whose name I literally <laughs>
0: just looked up a second before you did. I know, it's
2: on the wrong side of the paper. Um but yeah, it's like he he has this feeling that he needs to tell the information because he's the only one that really knows it, but nobody wants to listen to him, and that's hard. But I commend him for still speaking up and at least trying to get it out there. That way I feel like he's doing his part and if they're not listening to him, at least he did what he could
0: and just imagine if he didn't speak up the first time when Mm -hmm. the meeting was adjourned and he hit the table and he pled his case you know if if they just sort of let things if he let things spiral out of control i which i think that that's what we're seeing he's not that kind of person who could have let that happen
1: well that's why he and Sherbina are just proving themselves continually to be a a good duo to be solving this and we see uh, Sherbina, more the operator, he is the communist apparatchik, knows what cement looks like when it burns, knows how to deal with coal miners, is more savvy within the system where uh, Legasov is willing to be, first of all, he has the nuclear knowledge. Second of all, he's willing to have his naivete come out. He He fights it every once in a while. He does make some comments like he did in the hotel that prove, Savvy, where he did not tell people they should be worried about the radiation, but, uh, he is still 90%, 80% the, the idealist that really wants to have the truth out there.
0: Yeah. And, uh, that's one of the things that we really see is just more and more of these things. Like the fact that if there is, you know, so the meltdown has begun is is what becomes apparent at this point in the episode, and about six to eight weeks, I guess it, it could melt down into the water supply, and that's when we start to get some stats, uh, like the fact that it would be the water supply for 50 million people, and when we get to our uh, by the number segment, you have all sorts of uh, comparisons for some of the areas effective in here. Uh, one other number that is thrown out. Is that the half-life for this event was twenty-four thousand years? So, uh, the the real, you know, it's like, well, yeah, how long is this going to last? It's like, uh, it, you know what? Don't even ask because it's so far beyond any and all of our lifetimes that uh, it, it's it's what you think about when you hear and you know in a, in a, when we do our final episode, we'll talk a little bit about the the situation in Chernobyl, the Chernobyl yeah. area now. But well, when people moment... go, people go now, and you're like. It wasn't that it was like thirty three years yeah. ago. What are, you, what are you going for? Like you think it's safe? Mm-hmm. It's not safe. Don't go there. Anyway, sorry. Were well, uh,
1: just so people, you know, so everyone's on the same page. Half life, which yeah. is going to be referred to a lot, that is the time it takes for half of that radioactive material to decay right. and and lose its radioactivity. So essentially, twenty four thousand. It takes twenty four thousand years to, for it to get half as bad. As it is now, so that is obviously so even thousands go away of lifetimes.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. right. No, that's a that's a good point. It
1: still kills you in twenty four thousand years.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, so we see sort of the other side of that latency period uh, in the in the hospital. It, one of the things that that uh, described was you can't even administer morphine for the pain mm. and we see that uh, Ludmilla's husband reaches that point uh, fairly quickly uh, in the course of this episode. And uh, it's it's uncomfortable to watch, but it's it, they did such a good job with uh, You know, I meant to make a note of, of who did uh, all the makeup. prosthetics and makeup because uh, very difficult to look at, but so well done uh, throughout the course of the episode because you have these evolving horrible faces and uh, which is another thing that we'll kind of talk about some of the genetic impact of of all of this. Uh, Let's talk about Well, you know what? Before we talk about anything else, I know Julana has a very important message to share with each and every one of you. So that's more important than what I was going to say. It's my
2: favorite message of the week. What's up, guys? Before we move into our next topic, we just want to thank you guys for making us the ESPN of TV talk. And for us to continue to grow, we could really use your help. And this is how you can help us. If you're on YouTube right now watching, please hit that thumbs up button and subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, you can give us a five-star rating if you're enjoying the show. But no matter where you are, please leave us a comment so you can get involved in the conversation. We love to hear what you guys think about the show. We've even had some people comment that they're nuclear engineers, which I think is really cool, or people that grew up in the area. Um, And being a part of AfterBuzz TV has meant so much to all of us. We really appreciate you supporting us and giving us a chance to do what we love, which is hosting and talking about TV. So thank you.
0: Uh, Thank you. Uh, Just a couple of comments from the chat. Uh, Duplicat points out that no one has any idea how dangerous it is in the hospital. Long-term effects of radiation was probably suppressed information. There are only a few people who seem to be uh, well aware of, you know, the severity of this. You know, there was the... Uh, well, I guess the female doctor uh, in the first episode whom, whom we've seen and obviously uh, Yulana knows because of how the the lengths she goes to to prepare herself. Uh, and then one other comment from Marie Antoinette's Cake, which is a wonderful username, Marie Antoinette's Cake. Everyone in the former USSR appears to be completely naive to the facts of radiation poison. Nobody has the proper protection to wear, so those kind of comments go hand in hand. It's... Uh, they're naive because the state wants them to be naive and wants them to not know just, you know, how bad the situation is. And, uh, the you know, I, I was thinking that when this scene's in the hospital, I'm like, how effective is that plastic really? And the fact that you, you have a little one of those little masks on your face.
1: I mean, it is amazing. This was a time, the, the 80s, when the Cold War was For, at one of its heights. Even if there wasn't the fear of meltdowns, there was the fear of nuclear incidents sure. uh, via bombings and things like that. And we see the the response team to this, and, and seem very capable with their leader from the military, still had to put uh, makeshift lead shielding on a truck to go measure this, because that was the team that responded to chemical incidents. So they did not have the response. The There was no lead shielding in the uh, hospital in that town. There was no in particular lead shielding on suits. I think we just had basically a military scuba suit. So they, they didn't even, well, according to what we see in the show, didn't yeah. even have a limited amount of radiation shielding suits, et cetera.
0: Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about the KGB. Uh, when, That's fine. When, when uh, Legasov goes uh, with uh, Boris for a walk, uh, they see that couple from the bar which is, when we saw that in that episode, I didn't think uh, anything other than they were just people who had a question. It's like, hey, look, it's this guy who seems to be, you know, he's dressed like somebody from Moscow. He must know something. Uh, and, you know, sort of the point is, like, everything's bugged. And if you're seeing them out in public, it means they want you to know that they're watching you. Uh, Julana, what did you think sort of about that, that realization and that recognition, recognition from Lagasov?
2: Um I also like you I didn't realize in the episode prior to this yeah who they were um I just thought they were guests and it's I kind of like that whole exchange of the conversation that happened around the KGB well, Yeah we can talk them. about that right now yeah yeah, it, yeah they, I'll the, add, I, I know you have quotes Well,
0: well so. it's uh, it's kind of a well first uh Jeremy what did you think about that realization did you you know it's it's always trying to see uh, did did you have the right mindset for the Soviet Union? Did you think it was suspicious when that couple asked him? Did you think that they might be KGB? Had you watched enough episodes of the Americans where you didn't trust them?
1: I did watch all the episodes yeah, of the too, Americans. And I did I, I recognized their watches as KGB watches. But uh, obviously, we didn't know it there. But that again shows you the the uh, perfect duo aspect in Yin Yin Yang of Sherbina and Legasov is that. Sherbina knew they had to leave the room. You know, this is the room we've set up in this hotel. Yeah. We are the ranking people on site, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't shield us from the state. And so we we are going to take a walk. He was expecting to be followed. He he knew the game, and of course, uh, then we have the awesome conversation later with the deputy. Well, yeah, let's director. talk about that. Yeah. And
0: and that's sort of when they're going through kind of the, uh, the unfortunate leak of information early after the accident and the fact that they've been able to keep tight control over it up, you know, at every point since then. And he actually says, we hope we've lived up to the highest standards <laughs> of the KGB. And the minister says you have. So In like, the
1: middle of a very yes. still a very important meeting about yeah. possible deaths and all yep. that. They say, you've kept the secrets. Good right. job.
0: Which is like, you know, to them it's just as, if not more important, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that this, this story got out there at all. I mean, uh, earlier in the episode, you see Gorbachev kind of pouring over these American newspapers and you know, just all the things that they're saying. Uh, so We get through – we'll we'll kind of circle back to some of the other content from that meeting. But – so this uh, KGB minister says, I know you've heard the stories about the KGB and people are following you. But people are following those people. People follow me. And I love that he says there's the old Russian proverb, trust but verify. The Americans are uh, giving credit to Reagan for that. (laughs) And I was just like, wait, is it true? (laughs) <laughs> is, is is It's a very slight tangent. It's very reminiscent of the Russian character Chekhov from Star Trek, who uh, likes to <laughs> think that everything is of Russian uh, origination, you know. So uh, it, it actually made me laugh uh, at that moment, which... There's a couple of times where this episode was funny, by the way, and we'll talk Mm -hmm. more about one of them. Um, But let me ask Julana, sort of that explanation of like the the circle of the KGB, everybody watching everybody else. um, What did you think about that realization and just him putting it that succinctly, what life must be like under that kind of a system?
2: Well, I think life must be really stressful. And, (laughs) you know, that's a reason why people feel like they can't fully express themselves or be themselves because – it's true. You could never know who's watching you, who's listening to you. If you're just a regular citizen, you know, like you said, you wouldn't think to think that rooms could be bugged or that the people next to you could be eavesdropping on you because We're being recorded. you don't function like that, right?
0: <laughs> well, we are being recorded right now. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, what did you, uh, how do you feel they did, Jeremy, sort of uh, explaining that approach towards life in the Soviet Union?
1: Uh, I think it it comes through from the first episode when Lagasov has to hide the tapes and he has to oh, bring yeah. his rubbish and his cinders, I believe it was, out. We see it at the the very beginning. We we see the the party apparatchiks at the power plant being whisked off. Brukhanov and Fomin. Oh yeah. There's definitely always that hanging over, but it's it it. I think it would rarely. It had also its face that was productive in the in the director or the assistant director of the KGB when he still knew when to get down to business when someone put all their cards on the table. So when, when Lagasov said he would vouch for her and he would be accountable right. Speaking for of Ulana, Ulana yeah. uh, he knew the, the deputy director that there's nothing being hidden here. 100% okay to free her. I'll see that it's done. And, and it's uh, an example of where his naivete finally became a strength because the director knew there was no hidden agenda.
0: There's two moments there that uh, are important, at least as far as I was concerned. The first is that, yes, the uh, assistant to the director of the KGB say, says, well, you, you'll be accountable for her. So it's like basically if, some, if she gets in trouble again – I don't care what knowledge you have in your head, and you know what, how much of an asset you are. You're going to be the one to uh, disappear, as it were. Uh, but then also, uh, Boris system that went surprisingly well. You came off as a naive idiot, and idiots are not a threat. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, uh, yes, being that upfront, I think most people aren't going to approach even a very low level KGB official and be so upfront, but. Uh, I think it was the only play that Legasov had so we'll kind of circle back as to what that was which was she was getting some very important information when people would talk to her and that was that was some of the most difficult things to watch inside the hospital number six you know the guy whose face is melting and also then blood starts pouring out of his nose and then that's Sort of the moment Top where she, she, yeah, she just is, she has to be human enough to reach through the thing and, and, you know, dab the fact that that was happening. And of course, all I could think of is like, well, you might as well not be wearing the protection then if you're going to actually reach in there and, you know, even through rubber gloves, touching blood coming out of his body. But uh, <laughs> good for her that she was trying to be a good person. But she gets most of the information that she wants. And consistently the thing that comes up is that they did turn it off. That's when the plant exploded and multiple people said it, but that's the thing that doesn't make any sense. So uh, these are the sort of things – I don't know about you, Julana, where it's very tempting to like Google, wait, what really did happen? And I'm like I'd rather wait a couple more weeks and let them tell me exactly what happened instead of – you know. finding out on Wikipedia what may or may not have happened. What do you think when we start to, you know, see where the evidence is leading us at this point?
2: Well, my first thought was that it seemed very suspicious and it almost put me in a mindset of, was this a conspiracy? Did somebody do this on purpose? Um,
0: Yeah, all good questions, by the way.
2: And that's about as far as I got. (laughs)
0: Right, no, because, uh, you know, you, you never know what value, you know, and I think that, if it were to happen on purpose uh, i don't think anyone would have weighed the actual impact that it, that this would have the way that we see people throughout the series reacting like well that's impossible that didn't happen no you didn't see graphite you know any of that stuff uh jeremy it's just no one entertains the idea that this is what could have happened Because it's just because of just how unlikely they have been led to believe it would be, right?
1: Yes, they still can't even fathom, even these two most expert people, why that kind of nuclear reactor would explode. They've done the math. They haven't been able to work it out even now. And that's why Ligasov comes up with his line. You need to pursue every possibility, no matter how likely it is or who there is to blame. And... I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't looked ahead, but who knows if he was involved in some of those procedures and protocols and things like that and where that, it, it seemed like, uh, it might be leading in that direction, but that's, that's, uh, maybe too aggressive foreshadowing or analysis on my part. But, uh, they talked about her, you know, she, I believe says that they can't stop me. I'm a, you can't stop a lunatic. And he says, yeah. no, a, a scientist. And you wonder, uh, you probably need a little bit of both in this or you need a lot of scientists, but a little y- lunatic in this scenario to be that that fighter that's going to continue looking without regard for your own welfare. I, these people are going to start looking into this. And, and we learned that, you know, her character is a combination of many scientists, but many people started to do investigations and and look for information and put out information to their own great risk.
0: Uh, let's uh, talk about the miners, which is the rare uh, representation of something that uh, can actually make you laugh in this uh, in this series. Uh, starting with the, I believe he was the minister of of mines, <laughs> the minister of coal is actually what his uh, title was. That uh, you know he he goes to the uh, miners to tell them, you know, here's where you have to go. And uh, as we'll kind of see, you have to be very direct and upfront with these uh, these miners because they actually have a great deal of power because of how essential they are in keeping the the Soviet Union uh, running. So he explains to them what it is, and I think that for the most part they seem to understand not the severity of it, but they know that like, okay, this is not going to be great for our longevity. But they've also, you know, when you're part of the Soviet Union, if you're a, a communist party member in good standing, you're going to do what's asked of you. So I I do sort of love the fact that everybody makes sure to get coal all over his suit. And the one guy even mm-hmm. says, now you look like the minister of coal. What are yeah. you going to say?
1: Um, what's interesting about these guys is they do, after he explains the situation to them, they Rally like we've seen so many other people rally, but a lot of the people that were rallying before were at the plant and in the town. The right. firefighters, the uh, technicians who went down into the uh, drainage areas. These people were hundreds of miles away to the northeast in yeah. Russia. So what's interesting about them is they are, you know, they, they show. I mean, they are tough, they are gritty, and they are resisting. But when it comes time to rally. They're rallying for people hundreds of miles away and for the greater safety of the Soviet Union.
0: Right. And uh, I think that uh, it's it's good advice that uh, Legasov gets. Which is that he's not good at lying, and uh, Boris says, "You know, you have to tell the truth." This is one of the best lines in the series so far. He's like, "These men work in the dark; <laughs> they see everything." And I, th- it's very clear that that's the approach you have to take: is you, you don't don't try and outsmart them, don't try and pull a fast one. You tell them what it is, and because again, these are these are good Soviets. There, To a man, everybody, you know, rises to the occasion and, and actually goes and do this, you know, and he asks some really hard questions, which is including, is it, is it going to fall on top of us? And he's like, well, not if you're done in six weeks, you know, and then uh, do these gas masks really work? And he makes the point, if they worked, you'd be wearing them you know so uh it's, i think a lot of that is yeah to sort of make people feel better uh Juliana, what did you think as we get to know the miners and uh i didn't actually catch the name of the the lead miner the the kind of the boss miner which i should have but uh what are you, just some of your general thoughts on the miners
2: i really appreciated the humor aspect that they provided and a yeah. little bit of relief cuz it's been so dark and heavy um, the last two episodes, so it was nice to just have a little bit of lighter scenes um, and funny. But I, I really liked his just like no BS kind of attitude. I think he's my favorite character so far.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, you know, look, there's because there's a lot of people who have are good, well intentioned, but not necessarily likable characters. Like mm-hmm. it's arguable as to whether or not the gossip is a likable character. You know, but uh, I, I do, yeah, and I found the. The fact that it was so hot, Uh, Jeremy, you had, uh, so they say it's 50 degrees, which sounds very cold to us with our crazy Fahrenheit, but, uh, so how hot was it in those tunnels?
1: Almost as hot as this studio. 122 (laughs) degrees.
0: Right. It's only 119 in the studio, though. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, and then uh, they won't give them fans, which the explanation on why not to give them fans makes perfect sense. It's like. Ah, uh, you know, we get uh, we get dust stirred up all the time. It's like, not this kind of dust. You know, you don't want to be uh, breathing that anymore. So uh, they make the unique decision of uh, just uh, digging completely in the nude, which is interesting because he says that's how our grandfathers <laughs> did it. I'm like, wait, what they did?
1: They didn't have ventilation back yeah. in the early part of the century. Yeah. For coal mines in Russia and then the Soviet Union, yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, I found... Uh, All of that to be uh, very interesting and, uh, of course, entertaining, you know. Uh, So. uh, One
1: one final aspect there. You you know, these guys are used to a profession where they know their lives are being shortened. It's a fact, even today in the safer United States, coal miners essentially go into that profession knowing Their lives are being shortened by lung disease and every other thing. This is just one other risk factor on top of it. So the clothes maybe provided a little bit of shielding. He knew it was not a lot. They were... They know that calculated risk in that numbers game almost as well as Lagassev knows, just in a different way.
0: Yeah. And in the, uh, there's a, there's, a, after the episodes, there's always a little bit of a behind the scenes thing where one of the things they talk about is just how important the miners were and, and the leverage they had, sort of what I referenced, but also that in reality, these miners dug these tunnels in record time and they did it under the understanding they were saving millions of people. And, well, there isn't hard, fast data on specific miners who were there. The reports are uh, that uh, a number of them uh, died very young, probably not too long after this.
1: Another wrinkle in it is Legasov in, in the uh, the conversation with Ulana, where he says, I judge the possibility of this full meltdown at 50%. She said, I think it might be 40 Essentially, they described it as the most urgent thing. This is 100% definitely needed, and we need to start now. But the whole... Thing there was Legasov running the numbers and saying this is a probability game again. So he is also, I mean, like Gorbachev and the other people, willing to argue that that these lives getting in harm's way, it's it's all worth it.
0: Uh, Julan, I wanted to get your reaction to the final sequence in the show, which is you know the uh, the the bodies being put into coffins. We watch them nailed shut encased in some kind of like concrete and then and the actual, yeah, okay so that's zinc Mm -hmm. and then uh, we watch uh, concrete poured on top of it and that seems to sort of be the moment I referenced earlier that Ludmilla's like, oh it's that bad, you can't actually put their bodies in the ground because of of the impact they'll have, Uh, just uh, give me your thoughts on watching all of that unfold
2: Right, Um, for me that shot, my first thought was this is a beautiful shot in a way of a, a very final ceiling moment. And it really does make you realize how contaminated they are, I guess, or how radioactive because yeah. that's what I've been thinking this, the whole episode and the whole other episodes is this thing is so, um, what's the right word? It's so dangerous for people to touch, but like every time they go, like the men that went in the water, they're coming Hidden out
1: and dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: And they're coming out like, everything they touch all of their uniforms all of this stuff has to be contaminated and you know needs to be put in the ground like that but they're just walking around like it's okay and this scene for me and I think for Ludmilla and the other characters that were there like you said really drives home the fact that they need to be as concealed as possible and then if you think about today that there's just cement graves in that area of the world it's a little bit crazy to think about
0: yeah and it's this sort of beautiful like operatic moment as we watch you know and and, and it seems like the mill's a little bit horrified when she sees the cement truck you know backing up and you know it's going to just pour it on there and it's not typically uh what we see uh i do we're very limited on time we're practically out of time uh there's two things i want to make sure we get to the first uh julana i know that uh We're going to see this in the weeks ahead. uh, Some of the the uh, some of the genetic impacts that uh, this radiation has, and I know you uh, looked into that a little bit, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that.
2: Yeah, I just did a little bit of research, um, and so basically, there's somatic damage, which is what we were seeing in the hospital damage to the individual, but not the reproductive cells. So that would be like the sickness, the hair loss, internal bleeding, pretty much everything we saw with the patients in the hospital, and then genetic damage, which is when damage happens to your reproductive cells and that's what affects your offspring. So I think we're going to be seeing some effects of that in the next episodes to come. But just like as a recent kind of number um, by 2005, there were more than 6,000 cases of thyroid cancer reported in children and adolescents who were exposed at that time. And they say it's because of the iodine that was deposited in the pastures and the cows ate the grass and, right. you know, then the kids were drinking the milk.
0: So, Which is one of the things that Lagosov mentions, that right. you have to kill all the animals. Right. But it uh, does not appear that that's what happened. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that that's the gist of uh, what you found. And I feel like we'll be referencing that again as soon as next week. Uh, and then, uh, Jeremy, I know you've got some by the numbers and I would uh, love to end on some of those numbers.
1: Yeah. One thing about this is we've talked about the scope. And, for instance, when they talked last week about the potential thermal explosion that would send all of the radioactive debris into the wind all over Eastern Europe and uh, the Ukraine and, and Belarus, and that would have, requ- that would have been a, a swath about one-third the size of the United States, essentially the United States west of the Rockies. Now they're talking about a much smaller area of damage, uh, but it's still immense. So they talked about, uh, one, essentially 2,600 square kilometers need to be evacuated. That's pretty close to a thousand square miles. So to give a little context there, that's essentially saying the state of Rhode Island needs to be evacuated or for West coasters, two times the city of LA. And we are here and we know this is a very big city within the city limits. And then we hear talking about, not only do you need to evacuate all those people, essentially we have a death zone um, in 100 square kilometers directly around the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Well, that 100 square kilometers is about 39 square miles, and that's double the size of Manhattan, approximately. So two Manhattans where they had to dig up many feet of all the soil, cut down every tree, and, and kill every animal. So you could see where they say it's going to take three years and 750,000 men. And for a little context, uh, the Soviet Union was in Afghanistan at the time. They peaked in their, uh, their, their combat forces there at about 115,000 people. So we're talking about uh, more than six Afghanistans of troop commitment. And, yeah. uh, and they lost uh, 15,000 men during that And from what Legasov says, he essentially said it will be thousands and potentially tens of thousands. So we're talking about probably losing, they're estimating at the time, I don't know if we know the stats right now, but essentially another Afghanistan within their own borders.
0: Yeah. And, you know, obviously the Soviet Union was just such a massive landmass with so many people. And those numbers being thrown around it, it, it's significant even when you take that into consideration in any case we are out of time but uh, we will certainly be back next Tuesday at 9 Pacific to talk about episode 4 of Chernobyl but until then Julana where can people find you
2: hey guys you guys can keep up with me on Instagram at Julana
0: it's just, @julana. Yeah, it's just at, at, you. at Julana wow I didn't even think I, I was I very that. very early in the yeah, Instagram.
1: She's very okay. smart. do you have uh, Julana.com as well
0: No, Uh, Ah, (laughs) Okay, so now we've got that And uh, Jeremy, where would people find you if they were to look?
1: Please don't look for me But find me here (laughs) next week and find me Sunday Even though Game of Thrones is over We're still going to talk about the documentary And wrap everything up So uh, the next two Sundays, right here
0: yeah, it seems like everybody loved that finale, so I'm sure there's not much to talk about. <laughs> uh, I don't watch the show, so I don't know. But anyway, I'm Christian Bly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at DMZ. And if you want some lighter fare, you can find me this Thursday at 10 Pacific on the Twilight Zone After Show. Uh, that's all the time for now, but uh, we will see you next Tuesday, comrades.
2: Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to
0: after Buzz TV.